0: We need to start thinking beyond transaction, beyond transition, and evolve to transformation. Because when I see the experienced economy, and I see the wellness economy, and I think about the next three to five years, I think what's being defined in front of us is the transformation economy. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito.
1: For this year's Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, we were thrilled to have Ari Peralta as our Sensory Design Innovation Chair. Now, if you've been reading Retail Touchpoints, you have seen Ari's work through our Design Perspectives bylines. As our Sensory Design Innovation Chair, he helped us truly understand how we could cover the ways technology and experience design can come together to drive true brand immersion. As part of our ongoing series spotlighting some key sessions from this year's show, we are thrilled to present to you Ari's session, which is focused on leveraging the senses to drive immersion. During his session, he's showcasing how experienced strategists and brands as a whole can evolve from store building to mind building. Listen in because he has some incredible thoughts around what the future holds for retail design and experience.
0: You know, world building to mind building, this is all about reframing and rethinking the role of marketing today. As a neuroscientist, Harvard-trained, as a sensory designer, Parsons-trained, but most importantly as an MBA. These three careers have allowed me to really build a path for what I believe is the future of world building and mind building. I think these are the kind of titles that we're gonna refer to with marketing. You know, changing a paradigm, as I said this morning when I opened our conference, is no easy business. And for those of you in this room if you have any inclination towards that change, you're gonna find a lot of inspiration from some really incredible big brands, luxury brands, sometimes may seem a little aspirational, but I want you to take into consideration that I've broken down some best practices based on these large brands and luxury brands and things that you can start applying today to your business. So brands today, think more in terms of campaigns and channels, right? And we know this from marketing. We know this from the agency work. We know this from design. But I want to challenge this framework. I want us to really elevate and talk about relationships and outcomes. Relationships, not transactions, relationships. It's much more than a transaction. When we're talking about outcomes, we're talking about behavioral change. Now, what's interesting is that today with campaigns, they're not successful, right? Over 90% of advertisement campaigns are not successful. Why? Because we're still taking the one-size-fits-all approach. What's different is that with some of these new technologies, they're empowering us to really create and co-create world building. What's the difference between a store and a world? I want you to think about it. Now, your brand has enough elements and attributes to build a a world around. Ultimately, those attributes can also serve a purpose to heighten the person's experience. When we look at the factors that are affecting today's economy, it's important to start right from the get go. It's a $12 billion experience economy today. We're no longer just talking about products. And this is reflective across different generations, in particular Gen Zers and Millennials, who we know time and time again, these reports come out and say they're choosing experiences over products. I don't want to play devil's advocate, but I kind of like this role. I don't agree with that completely. People still want products. They just want experiences that tie those products together. And part of what I see as unsustainable in the retail and design market is that we spend a lot of money on experiences, and most of those experiences have no anchor in humans' brains. In other words, they don't remember it. So what's the point of spending so much money on experiences that don't always necessarily tie back to product? 86% of people in general are willing to pay a premium for a product that brings an experience. Now, this is just not experience for experience sake. Again, this is experience with purpose. 73% of customers, really, what we've seen is that 73% of companies who focus on these types of experiences do far better than their competitors. So I want to show you some of the factors that I'm kind of taking in, right? I work across different uh, industry. So, I'll show a little bit more about myself before I get into this. I started Origami about six, seven years ago, can't even remember the date, um, as a neuro research and multisensory company. But to be honest, we started in fashion. I was trying to put out a multisensory fashion line, and the more I worked with scientists, the more I wanted to become one. So, I did. And what I wanted to do through Origami was really bridge the gap between a lot of that scientific jargon that's very difficult to understand and the pseudoscientific design world that will take anything. I wanted to provide somewhere in between where we can bridge these ideas, work together, and collaborate. Since then, we've helped organizations like NASA, ESA, all the way up in space, helping our astronauts function and do better thanks to sensory design and sensory exercises. We worked with governments, including the US government and the government of Quebec, working specifically with seniors, populations in particular with dementia and Alzheimer's, helping, guiding them, wayfinding back to their rooms, people who can't even remember where they are or who they are. We've also worked in automotive, from Nissan to Tesla to Mercedes to BMW to Rolls Royce, optimizing those environments. So if you've ever seen, let's say a Mercedes, go into sports mode, we're the ones who created the colors and sounds that go with that to ensure that you feel it's a faster and more uh, vivid and livid experience. So when we look at these different factors, working across all these different ranges of industries, I kind of see trends popping up. And sometimes they're not directly in front of you in retail. Part of what we've done as part of the advisory council here at Retail Innovation Conference is really find additional sources of inspiration for you beyond retail. And while I have many use cases that are going to be in retail, I want to showcase how all of these elements ultimately are going to make it into your store. The first thing I want to talk about is wellness. The most we relate wellness to retail is either through product or through retail therapy. It's time to evolve that. We have an opportunity to create a reason for people to shop and that's making them feel better. Most people today do not feel well. That's where wellness economy is booming. We're also seeing this new generation AI. Intimidating, much more computing capacity than our brain is capable of. And this is also contributing towards information overload, severely affecting our brain, severely affecting and impacting our purchasing decisions. We're also seeing smart wearables. Now, remember the impact smartphones made to your business. Remember the impact the internet made to your business. Wearables are going to change the way you interact with your customers, the way you communicate with your customers. And what I'm really excited about is introducing a new era of screenless devices, because we have overwhelmed our visual sense in retail. Immersive tech, something I showed in my initial video this morning, it's creating dynamic environments in retail, but also digitally, and now in this new hybrid mindset. This includes spatial computing. This includes spatial sound. And this also includes a whole new set of sensory enabling technologies, which we're going to get into a little bit more. Now, with Web3, some people call it the metaverse. I prefer Web3. All we're talking about are having spatial experiences similar to the ones we have in brick and mortar, similar to the ones we're having in this room. How do we bring this and translate this into a digital realm? Finally, and not least, the gaming revolution. Now, while many brands are creating games, and we'll get into that, what I want to share with you, and and we'll get to that in a second, are gamification principles. Not all of them apply to your brand. Not all of them apply to uh, exactly where you're at at this moment. But gamification is much more than a gaming engine or a render. It's a system of rewards of how our brain works. So we get into world building. What is world building? Does anybody know what world building is? Anyone? So this concept comes really traditionally from filmmakers and writers who kind of had to set the stage for the story, what was happening, what's actually, what are those details? that immerse us. And guess what? Each and every one of you, regardless if you're in the marketing department or not, you're storytellers. So what we're talking about with world building is, how do you increase your ability to say the story so that people can feel the story? Now, some of my biggest inspirations are world builders. Uh, One of them in particular that I recommend you look up, Alex McDowell. He actually teaches world building in LA. Uh, I met him a few years back at the Future of Storytelling conference at Faust. And when he was describing world building, like what he did for uh, Minority Report with Tom Cruise and other films, I was fascinated by it. And I said, this is what marketers and designers need to learn today. It's no longer campaigns. It's creating, and let me correct myself, it's co-creating worlds with your customers. Now, this is also now being used by gaming developers. And you're starting to see world building, AKA Roblox, and some of the other platforms. So it's time to catch up. If not, what I fear for you, and I say fear, is that you're gonna end up in the social media whirlpool again. Right, where others are creating the platforms that are now shaping your business. When I look at brands like Nike, like Gucci, and some of the other ones that I'm going to go in depth with, I want you to notice how they're taking some of these elements from these platforms and creating their own, really generating a symbiotic relationship, not one that takes advantage of their customer, but one that is co-participatory. We did a survey last year with over 200 designers at Aragami. And because we have the pleasure of being around so many of you, we took advantage and asked about world building. And while many of you may not necessarily call it world building, 80% of designers today understand that this new, more layered or hybrid environment is top priority today. I have some best practices from world building. And I want you to take a look at them. We have to be creative. It has to be complete, consistent, and compelling. To me, these are the four C's of world building. And regardless of what kind of world you are creating, it's important that you use that sense of creativity that your brand is known for. Everything is creative. Everything is. Everything has a unique point of view. It's your job to identify what those attributes are for your brand and highlighting them. Making sure it's a complete experience. Oftentimes, when we create experiences in store, you know, it's a complete experience, but then when you translate that online, somehow it doesn't translate it, it feels inconsistent and incomplete. What's interesting is. As many people here in this conference will talk to you about about single stream omnichannel, I don't quite necessarily believe in that when it comes to marketing. You want your platforms to be omnichannel. You want your point of purchase to be omnichannel. But ultimately, the reason these different platforms have different users is because they identify in different ways. And you probably already know this, but for those of you who just hit the share Button from Instagram to Facebook to all your other social channels, I want you to reconsider that. Because maybe that message can be fine-tuned and more precise based on the type of audience that's actually receiving this information. So when it comes to world building, it's not just what you want to present. It's also understanding how the perceiver, how the user, how the customer receives this information. So today, brands are crafting these stories with a multitude of tools. Some of these tools include pop-ups. I see Melissa and her team who are here, queen of pop-ups, so hello. Games, NFTs, generative AI installations, SCTs, which by the way, that means sensory enabling technologies, and with spatial computing. These, for me, are the top tools that I'm seeing brands regardless of what sector, right? Entertainment, retail, hospitality, healthcare, workplace, automotive. This is what they're focusing on. So let's look at how some of the best brands on Earth who are great storytellers are translating and using these different tools to not create an omnichannel experience, but to create a multi-dimensional, and mark my words, multimodal, in other words, multi-sensory experience. Louis Vuitton in stores starting to use generative art installations. I talk about this in our series with Retail Innovation, uh, which is called Stimulate Retail. So I encourage you, and I'll share a QR code in a bit so that you can check out the series. But generative art is everywhere. What's the difference between traditional art and generative art? Well, static versus dynamic. The difference with these generative art installations is that the customer, as they walk in the store, they leave their signature. And not just on the transaction, but on the design itself. These are using different types of sensors that allow recognition of people's movement, of their temperature, of other things, just to create the experience. Now, they're able to then bring that experience, an example with Louis Vuitton, online with Louis the Games, which has been quite successful, bringing some of the fantastical world of Louis Vuitton in a three-dimensional space, creating games, and also building quite a reputation with Gen Zers. Finally, most recently, they've introduced their first NFT collection. I'm really excited about this NFT collection. I've created NFTs with Deepak Chopra for meditation, and I'm really excited to see yet another functional, practical way. Now, I'm not here to speak poorly about creatives and NFT makers, although there's a wide variety of them, but I do believe that we are evolving from funky, funny apes that get us into yacht clubs to actually collectibles. And I want you to think about this. This new digital and hybrid consumption offers us a unique pathway to sustainability. Otherwise, I don't see how we're going to make sustainability actually a thing. It's been 10 years now that we've been talking about this. Creating these digital experiences offer brands opportunities to not just create products, but to create worlds where their products can live. Another great example is Gucci. So the caring group, uh, who I have a special relationship with for now almost six years, uh, they've been incredible at creating the Gucci world. And while head designer Alessandro Michel is no longer there, the team remains adamant about creating these hyper-physical worlds that blend in that physical retail. This is all based on Gucci Gardens, by the way. Gaming, all the way to now Roblox experiences. And as you can see, they look slightly different, but it still carries the identity of the Gucci brand. Now, when we're seeing this kind of diversification in how these experiences are presented, It affects the bottom line. These are the brands that are succeeding today. Now, mind you, for some of you who can't do all three of these things at the same time, I understand. Pick one and do it very well. And I think part of what we need now today is how do we better optimize the environments, the physical environments, but then how do we enrich online and digital and hybrid experiences based on some of those best attributes? This is that slide I think you should take a picture of. (laughs) This is uh, something I came from one of our partners in the UK who created a gamification periodic table. I want you to spend some time with this. I'm not going to go through all of it because it's going to take too long. But what I want to show you is that gamification isn't just one thing. It's a system of things. It's a collection of techniques, methods, and tools that have been proven effective at creating behavioral change. Now, we need to be careful with this because this is also the reason why I feel a lot of people are addicted to certain types of technologies. I feel that this is also, when done irresponsibly, one of the reasons why, gosh, we we feel like we just can't catch up. Does anybody feel that time is going by a little extra fast lately? For those of you who didn't raise your hand, please wait for me outside. I would love to talk to you. <laughs> Some of the best practices when it comes to world building is really about creating purpose and designating that purpose throughout. So please reimagine what a store is, reimagine how you tell your story. And part of the interesting and, and creative outlet that we have with these new digital worlds is that you're not constrained by the rules of physics. So have fun. People want to have fun. So going back to my point on omnichannel, if you don't have fun in your store, right, let's say because you're selling a specific kind of product that it's not the best environment for, doesn't mean you can't translate elements of this to online. And I think what's interesting is that today we have a super uh, hyper-segmented consumer a fragmented consumer. But what's interesting is that when we see visitors engaging with these new tools, we see purchase behavior go up. And that's ultimately the bottom line of why we're even here, to help our brands grow, to help them build relationships with the people that can help them grow today, and to instill the relationships and planting those seeds of the relationships for tomorrow. So, you know, as this incredible image from Puma, this was one of the first digital fashion campaigns ever created, just a few years old, that's it. I think it's important that we also take a responsibility on what are the sensory conditions we create in these worlds, going back to the issues we've created in this physical world. I say we because I like for us to take responsibility for our role in sensory overload, in the mental health crisis. These are our kids, your kids too. Our friends, our neighbors, ourselves. How can we make advertisement healthy? How can we make the shopping experience an empowering and transformative experience? How can we make the online experience extend to that? This is where I want to showcase why wellness is more important than ever. If you recall. When we started, I talked about how amazing that $12 billion economy, experience economy is. Now I want you to take a comparison, look at it. Compare it to the 4.6, it'll actually be eight. It'll be announced in a few months from the Global Wellness Institute. 4.6 trillion dollar wellness economy. Wellness is taking over. And if retail doesn't catch up, it will take over retail. We're starting to see a lot of interesting brands that are mixing and elevating wellness experiences. But they're mostly wellness brands. I don't think wellness brands, I I don't think wellness is just for wellness brands. And this is where I want to challenge you as the architects of our future, as the designers of our present, but the architects of our future we need to start thinking beyond transaction, beyond transition, and evolve to transformation. Because when I see the experienced economy, and I see the wellness economy, and I think about the next three to five years, I think what's being defined in front of us is the transformation economy. As we start adding more layers and more layers, to our physical experiences. We're starting to add more information to an already overwhelmed brain. So I want you to take into consideration of those limits, those thresholds that we all have. Currently, two out of three stores have incongruent sensory information. In other words, the music doesn't match the product, doesn't match the message. These are simple things. But if we're going to get into world building, and this is world building, we need to take these things into consideration. Hybrid environments are something that will continue to dominate our markets. In fact, uh, when I'm talking to some of the largest architecture firms that I work with, like Gensler or HKS, this is their top priority. And what's interesting is some of the research that we've done around hybrid, in particular hybrid work, what we've identified is that, okay, hybrid's where you begin. But currently, we've at least identified 15 different types of hybrid work types. So it's important now that we go beyond these umbrella terms, dig a little bit deeper, add a little bit more meaning and purpose to what we are trying to actually create So that we avoid this, it's beautiful, but this mumbo jumbo of sensory information that is irrelevant, inconsistent, and most of all, harmful to our brain. Without getting too much into science, I still have to cover the science part as a neuroscientist. So in the simplest way possible, I want to show three different outcomes. Sensory underload. That's not enough sensory information. That typically doesn't happen in retail, but it does happen in digital retail, where you're underwhelmed by the movement, the depth, the color, right? This is all still visual. Let's not even get into the senses beyond that. Then we have this extreme sensory overload. Four out of five people are experiencing anxiety at this time. The difference between stress and anxiety is simple. We are born to be stressed a little bit, right? And this comes back to our evolutionary biology. If somebody's chasing me from that podium, I'm going to run and I'm going to be stressed and my body's going to go alert, go. But when I go back to the hotel room, lay in bed, and think about that person chasing me, That's anxiety, to make it a very simple way. So as we world build, we kind of need to take into consideration what is mind building to ensure that we actually unite both. Ultimately, when you give someone clean, consistent, and we'll get into now, congruent information, what you're able is to unlock a world of sensory attributes that really can enhance the way you do the way you sell, the way you communicate, the way you engage. So most of us think of the senses as five organs, our eyes, our ears, our skin, our tongue, our nose. Truth of the matter is, it's way beyond that. The senses, it's like this biological language that's encoded inside our body, inside our brain, And we're starting just to get an idea of how influential sensation is to perception. So if we are world building, if we are taking into account this new era of wellness, well-being, then what we are actually doing is mind building. And this is where I want to challenge you to go even further. World building is not enough. Brands don't need a purpose. This is probably the first person to ever say that. Brands don't need a purpose. I believe brands are about helping people find their purpose. We've gotten, I think, a bit confused with what a brand stands for and what do people stand for. Ultimately, brands are people. So I want you to take into consideration what is your brand's stance on well-being, on sensory design, on sensory comfort, on world building, and most of all, on achieving purpose. A brand that can help its customer identify their purpose, achieve their purpose, that's relationship building, that is outcome-centric. And that has been shown to be up to 80% stronger in return on investment. So, for us in marketing, what we've done traditionally is we have a brand, we have different brand messages based on different segments, and each one we kind of just say a completely different thing. I want to invite you, again, to not try and be everything to everyone, but to really define what is your brand. What is your message? Then our goal becomes different. It's not about forcing that message to as many people as we can. Our role then evolves to how do we translate this message? We're translators. We've translated it through design. We've translated this through visual merchandising. We've translated through campaigns. But now we're going to have to translate into worlds, into wellness into mind building. Now, what we've seen in terms of multi-sensory cues, and shopping, and retail experiences, is that people spend up to 51% longer when there are more than just a visual cue. Makes sense. Because we are multi-sensory beings. You can't just shut off a sense. It's still playing. So I want you to keep that into consideration. Most of the times when I work with retail brands in particular, one of the things they forget about is non-intentional sensory information that's in your space. That can be temperature, but that can also be noise from HVAC systems, alarm systems, registers, etc. By mapping this, you get a better understanding of what you need to actually play around with. It's not just about intentional design. It's also about being aware of the sensory properties of the space you're inhabiting. Now, what's interesting is that right now, brick and mortar, one of the reasons we say brick and mortar is still relevant, it's because you have a sensory experience, which you can't have digitally yet. And we're gonna talk about that, but that window is closing. So it's important that you get those sensory experiences correct and right in store, so that you can start translating them online as some of these new sensory enabling technologies unlock an entire new paradigm for design online. Finally, I want to talk about some of those other elements, not necessarily sensory, but emotional. What's interesting is that our senses, I want you to think of an image, a pixelated image. Where every single thing you see is like a little square. That's how we interpret the world. And each one of those squares doesn't necessarily have to be visual. Some of those squares are a scent. Some of those squares are audio. Ultimately, each one of those reference previous memories. That's how the senses work. We are predictive beings. And as Nikki from Netflix beautifully said this morning, we're quite irrational. We are logical. We are rational, just here. Everything else is just an emotional combustion. And all you have to do is ask yourself. So as we move forward to personalizing experiences in a digital realm, it's important to take into consideration the individual differences we have. We're about 99.9% biologically equals. We are. Yet. Because of the interesting dynamics between our psychological system, our physiological system, and even our spirituality, all those things in a holistic manner shape who we are. Also, that perception that we have shapes how we feel about everything in life. So these three are intricately linked, and To my dismay, I see so many people in our field talking about the attention economy. We're overwhelming people's attention and underwhelming people's perception. Ultimately, sensation, perception, attention, it's all a system that's uniquely linked, intricately linked. And while most of us are focusing on what gets someone's attention, it's irrelevant if you don't know how they perceive the world and if you're not stimulating different senses beyond just visual. So I want to talk a little bit about congruence, because it's pointless to talk about sensory design if we don't talk about what is correct sensory design. When we're talking about congruence, what we really are talking about are, how do we fill the gap between your expectation of something and what it actually is? The smaller that gap is, the more congruent it is. I shared an example during an interview today. It's probably the simplest example that you can get right away. I was at an Italian restaurant a few weeks ago, lovely food, and they were playing Mexican music. I'm Dominican, so that's pretty close. I love Mexican music, but it wasn't contextual to the meal. We've proven in the lab that it makes the meal test Uh, or taste less good when the music is is incongruent. Another example. In New York, we were shopping for some outerwear, yet what was playing, and this is in the middle of winter, so it was quite cold, snowing outside, sub-zero weather. And while I'm at this men's store shopping for outerwear, which is all they had there, they were playing Katy Perry's Summer Girls song. We may not notice these things. And I love that song, by the way, it's a great song. We may not notice these things right away, but they subconsciously build up. And when these things don't add up, your brain just goes, ah, it's not important. Ultimately, we've described ourselves as designers of emotions. All of us, right? Because we're here to engage emotions. Yet most people that I've ever spoken to on the marketing and design world have no idea what the emotions are. So I wanted to share with you an atlas of emotions that was created uh, in uh, San Francisco at Stanford. You see enjoyment? That's it. That's the one positive emotion that you're aiming for. Everything else is not. Yet, this is where we fall into, time and time again, where we're aiming for enjoyment, we're aiming for pleasure, we're aiming for now what we call neuroaesthetic, but we're not achieving that. So I want to share with you some best practices, some new terminology to expand your vocabulary, to amplify and augment your practice. Sensory Design 1.0 was Abercrombie & Fitch. And I have nothing against Abercrombie & Fitch. I hope they can survive. But I think they they did a great job back in the day with a signature scent. It was the first time that stores were like, oh, I actually can't get that smell out of my head, even if if it's not there. I'm thinking about it right now, and I get a headache. But that's the point. It was about leaving a sensory signature in the store. And most of us now do that to a certain extent. Sensory Design 2.0, I think a great example is Starbucks. Start and create jazz playlists. And it was almost about, okay. now that we've created this unique barista design vibe, how do we elevate it with Nora Jones' music and some other artists that identify or that our customers identify with? Those playlists became albums, and now they're synonymous to the atmospheric design of Starbucks. So what is sensory design 3.0? If 1.0 was about leaving a sensory signature, if sensory design 2.0 is about creating playlists and really exploring other sensory elements, 3.0 is all about behavioral change. It's all about helping people, again, achieve their purpose, or speed up how they achieve their purpose. One of my most favorite projects uh, was with uh, Nissan. Uh, Actually, Nissan's the next one. But with sensory optimization, that's how we apply sensory design 3.0. How do we make spaces better, healthier, for you to do what you do? So if you sell mattresses, and it's all about sleep, How do we optimize that environment so you can sleep the best? Because we know it's not just the mattress. It's an important factor. But if you have the right light, the wrong lighting or the wrong sound, as my clients Marriott had, invested a million bucks, testing the perfect room, yet they didn't notice that the lighting and the alarm clock was keeping people up. When we worked with Nissan, it was an interesting case study because it began as a campaign and it evolved into a practice. And this goes back to exemplify how we are evolving from campaigns to world building and mind building. Electric vehicles make no sound. And families in Europe and in Asia who purchase Nissan electric vehicles, well, they just stopped. Sales started to drop significantly. One of the reasons it was dropping Was or the segment of people that it was dropping in particular, were young families. These young families, when we researched, they had an issue. They couldn't put their kids to sleep in the car. I didn't know that was an issue. For them, that was an issue. And that was deterring them from buying an EV. That, even though these were pro-Earth and and all about sustainability and, and, and electrification of vehicles, they still had functional needs that were unmet. We took those sounds, developed tracks, and created sounds that are originally from the combustion engine, which you and I can't hear, but babies can. And it's calming to them. It's kind of like a little bit below white noise, so like purple, pink noise. And yes, noises have colors. Sensory enrichment had the really unique opportunity of working with some amazing companies in the design sense of creating new dimensionalities with their, uh, with their products. Hansgrohe and Axor, uh, this was an incredible project where we were really highlighting the translucency of water, the clarity of water, the beauty of water. And together with some incredible designers, it was really about how do we bring this experience even greater inside out through the product. Sensory profiling. These are the tools of tomorrow. This is what I look forward to enabling and empowering you. How do you better understand your customers' sensory preferences? And not just what they like, it's easy to know that, but their triggers, what they don't like, what they respond not so well to. Now, each of us in this room have a preference for lighting, for temperatures, for types of music, And it's not just a static thing. It depends on the time of day. may depend on the weather. may depend on the situation or mood. We are able to map these things out now and empower you so that you can give the right message at the right time, making it not just congruent, but appropriate. Multimodal, again, what that refers to is multiple modalities of sensory interventions. We are not unimodal beings. Yes, we are visually dominant, but guess what? Our memory capacity threshold for our vision is about 0.5 seconds. But when you include the other senses, it amplifies, it amplifies all the way to 5 all the way seconds. To five. So I want to talk about how some of the best brands or that I find that are, are executing this flawlessly, or beautifully, I should say. Nike is one of them, right? They have created experiential stores where you actually test your products, creating immersive environments that simulate where you would actually use their their sneakers, or their outerwear, or any one of their other derivative products. They're integrating technologies like immersive and generative art, not necessarily to do a spectacle and have you sit there and go, ooh, ah, this is evolving. Again, it's finding functionality and purpose. When I started with all this about six, seven years ago, it's when we were first introducing like different types of asphalt and flooring for people just to try their shoes there. This is how this is evolving. Move beyond to now last year, uh, they started their Nike Running Club app, dedicated platform just for the runners, where Nike helps you track your running, connect you with other runners, and elevates the experience from in store now to wherever you go. Most recently, they entered Roblox with Nike Land, opening up a whole other dimension of performance and reaching goals. Going back to having a purpose and defining that purpose, look how they define their purpose, which they've had for quite a while. It's now evolved from just athletes, but to anyone. We help you reach goals. And their marketing team, which is incredible, They've been translating how do you reach goals in these different platforms. Another giant, Disney. Now, Disney is an amazing company, and for those who have ever worked with Disney, these are the kings and queens of experience making, right? And they taught us how to imagine, and they still teach us how to dream. So their USP has always really been clear, But if you look at their evolution, how they translate that USP is quickly evolving. I want to show some non-retail-related ways that Disney is doing this that you may have not seen yet, as we kind of keep things hushed sometimes. Uh, The first one is the Grand Hotel, uh, a partnership similar, but much more cost-effective than their Star Wars, which I believe is now being closed. Um, this is a very different experience. It allows people to engage with elements of the building, allows them to engage with characters, and literally, it's almost like a, I think a scene on Harry Potter where you walk by the art and it winks at you. It's creating those kind of magical moments that otherwise don't exist. That's how they're translating that into hospitality and to other environments, not necessarily a store. I can't wait to talk a little bit more about Emerge. They've just recently announced a partnership with a tech startup that has been focused on creating haptic experiences in a virtual setting. What's really interesting is that Emerge isn't your typical actuator, vibrating kind of device or wearable. It's not even a wearable. It's a flat panel, a little bit thicker than this, that uses ultrasound. And you feel, based on that pressure of that ultrasound, almost kind of like little air pockets, if you will, that, through algorithms, can give you the shape of things. And you can literally feel texture and dexterity. This is going to transform how Disney integrates hybrid entertainment and brings it home. Think about our kids being able to high-five their superhero just over that. Finally, they've entered the immersive experience world, where similar to my clients' uh, grande uh, experiences, who've created Van Gogh and some of the kind of more uh, popular ones today, uh, Disney's taking its incredible Rolodex of characters, of animations, of storylines, and really fusing them together to create a multi sensory and immersive experience. And while what you see here is visual, we actually have haptic vibration on the floor. We're actually using scent release for specific visuals. So when we talk about mind building, I want to share these few points. Brands need a reason to be found. Beyond your product, what's the reason people come to you? Do you know that? Build upon that. If we look at Nike, it was about reaching goals. If we looked at Disney, it was really about imagination and escapism. It's important to now understand what are your verbs that you need to translate to your audience, not just the adjectives. What we are going to see throughout this conference, and if you haven't already, keep your eye open, It's this whole new functional wave of things. Design, experience, for just design or experience sake, it just doesn't cut it. People need function with these experiences. And typically, they need multiple functions, not just one. Brands have a great challenge now of marrying these two very different worlds that they've treated very differently, the physical, digital, What's interesting about this new hybrid era is that it connects these fields together. And I think what's important for you is to start becoming hyper-aware of these sensory enabling technologies that are shaping the future. I recommend you check out our Stimulate Retail series in partnership with Retail Touchpoints. We created the series just for this, to educate and empower designers on what's next, how these brands are using these technologies, breaking it apart on how they work, and really putting some challenges out there on how you can use them and integrate them. So far, we've written four articles. The first one focused on 3D visuals. You're going to say, wait a minute, but I thought this was multi-sensory. Guess what? 3D visuals offers depth perception. And that's another sense. That's why it feels like it's moving towards us or popping out. And we're not just seeing this in the expensive billboards that Disney's and Nike's and Louis Vuitton's can purchase. We're seeing this all the way down to a visual display on a counter. The fact is, three-dimensional video is now stronger than just video or just image. Second thing was generative art, from H&M to Bulgari They're working with incredible data artists like my good friend Rafiq Anadol, who's really helping us redefine what data is and what a beautiful experience can be. I don't know if you've seen some of his work, uh, but when you go check out our series, you'll be able to see his data stories that he creates through fragments of little kind of like pixels of color. We also saw spatial sound. What's interesting about sound is that it's the only sense to actually activate all parts of our brain. That's why it's so successful when I use it uh, with vulnerable communities like autism and dementia patients. Sound plays a critical role in retail, and it's underutilized. I want you to think beyond your sound identity. I want you to think at how does your brand engage with sound at any and every touch point. This is a unique opportunity. When we first got into the online digital realm, we didn't really care too much about sound because most of us had everything on mute, even still today. But as, for example, AirPods continue to evolve, as that technology continues to evolve, we're gonna be much more in control of the sounds we hear the sounds we listen to and blocking off the sounds or noises we don't want to. Spatial sound's unique because I want you to think of, it's not just about music that's contextual. We've noticed things like tempo and volume and the difference they have by different types of categories of retailers. Where high tempo was great for fast fashion But it wasn't great for luxury. Digital senses. This is where we get into some of those sensory enabling technologies. And while some of these are just starting to shape the market, like with uh, Apple Vision Pro, some of the technologies, like Emerge, are actually having partnerships now with Disney, where they're, as I shared, launching new haptic entertainment uh, with a select focus group of customers. So going back to our proposition in the beginning of this talk, where we move from campaigns to mind building, I've stripped away those words to give you what I really think. Are you ready to evolve from exploiting and overwhelming to co-creating and world building to empowering and mind building? Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.